Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. Most of the women with PCOS who I have worked with, myself included, have some level of chronic anxiety. We really worry. We take on other people's feelings and energy. And I want to just point you to podcast 37. I talked to Dr. Nancy Dunn in that podcast, and she was the first to really help me reframe this worry and anxiety into this, um, I think, more positive thought of alertness, where women with PCOS um, are very alert. And as Nancy Dunn said, we're mentally alert. Our nervous systems are, in fact, tuned up a little bit higher. Our sympathetic nervous system is a little bit more reactive when we have a higher androgen status like we do with PCOS. And in our current culture, that can mean things like chronic anxiety, insomnia, and can often lead to depression. But it can really be flipped on its other side to give us advantages of perception and motivation to change. And after I talked with Nancy Dunn on that podcast, I was also introduced to the work of Dr. Elaine N. Aron. She has written multiple studies and books on highly sensitive people, including the book, The Highly Sensitive Person. She estimates that between 50 to 20% of people have nervous systems that process stimuli intensely. These highly sensitive people think deeply, they feel deeply physically and emotionally, and they easily become overstimulated. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, uh, but I wanted to explore this topic in greater detail because I truly feel that many women with PCOS are highly sensitive people. And it is an, it's an absolute advantage in life, but I think that it's important to learn how to support ourselves and our nervous systems. And so I invited the author of The Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, Courtney Marchesanani, to the podcast today to talk to us more about what it means to be a highly sensitive person. So thank you so much, Courtney, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So let me just give our listeners a little bit of your about your background. You are a clinical health coach of Inspired Potentials. You're an integrative mental health and wellness educator, as well as a certified health coach, and you attained your master's of science in mind-body medicine from Saybrook University, and you provide education and holistic coaching programs for mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. And as I mentioned, you're the author of a really just fantastic enlightening book called The Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive. So tell us what it means to be a highly sensitive person. What, how, how would you define that? Well, the classical definition it was really great how you opened um, your podcast is because it's people who are highly aware 
That's one of the ways I describe it. Um, you know, I hadn't heard the 50% statistic, you know, classically it's like a 20% statistic of one in four and one in five people who are highly sensitive and what that means clinically. Oh, I think it, uh, just to correct, I think I, it was a 15 to 20%. So it yeah, may yeah. have sounded so like that. Yeah. 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 So 15 to 20%. I mean, there's a lot of dispute about that. A lot of people are, you know, anecdotally just saying that the, that statistic is probably much larger. Um, but there's no, you know, evidence-backed research to show that right now. Um, so it's usually one in four, one in five people who have a, what's called sensory processing sensitivity. That is the clinical term, SPS. And what that does, it's an organic brain function that allows, you know, more generally like sensitive people to perceive and be highly aware in their environment. And that is basically sensory information that floods in. So um, sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, the five classical senses, they perceive more sensory information than other people in their environment. And how that translates into a second component or a set, second factor is that they also react more, quicker, faster to what they perceive sensorily. So that means that um, typically it affects the emotions is that's that's how we see it really in the real world is that we're more emotionally reactive in those environments where we perceive more sensory information. So that is really interesting because I definitely feel like I perceive um, I don't love loud music. Um, at really crowded environments um, is something that I shy away from. And I think if I pack my day with lots of activities, I get overstimulated. And my husband doesn't, well, we're going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary uh, in a couple of weeks. So by now he gets Congratulations. it. Oh, thank you. But uh, by now he gets it. He understands me, but he didn't always. And um, the only way that I was able to kind of explain it to him, to, for him, for it to make sense to him is to think of me as a computer that's processing so much information that starts adding glitchy and freezes. And then like a computer, I have to reboot by taking a nap or taking a hot bath or going for a walk in nature or some other kind of self-care. And then once I've shut down for a little while, then I'm restored and I can operate more efficiently. So does that sound familiar to you? Um, oh my gosh, yes. And I think that the, um, you know, the highly sensitive person doesn't always know, right? In their own subjective personal experience, they don't always know that they're a highly sensitive person. So I think that's the really fascinating part about all of this is that you know self-care we know about self-care now finally like it's finally hit critical mass where self-care is a conversation in the wellness community and how important self-care is but you know we're um you and i are you know older in our generation where we've had to actually learn through experience what works for us and so i think um, you know, some of the advantages of self-care now hitting critical mass are that that is a conversation that we can have now in our communities about taking care of ourselves and how important it is. But that wasn't always the case, especially in like work environments and things. It's really in the past, it has been go, 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 drive, 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 performance, 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 excel, excel, excel. And highly sensitive people really learn through those um, grinding, you know, grinding away kind of experiences that we can't necessarily function at our best or optimal performance level when we're not taking those routine breaks mm -hmm. and providing ourselves those moments of repair, the downtime to repair, because our central nervous systems really are on a hair trigger. And we really, the thing that's hard to understand sometimes is that because sensitive people are so sensitive it takes much less for our central nervous system to become um, exhausted. So that's why I think my book is, is a little different than other books, because I do talk about things like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, you know, how the fascia holds, you know, um, so many, you know, nerve endings and things and how it's all connected to the highly sensitive person um, central nervous system.
you know, that kind of medical terminology has not necessarily been connected with the HSP personality. And I think that's because, you know, the medical field kind of looks at the HSP as just a personality type, but it's so much more. When you integrate it into medical science, you really start to see those connections light up, like you're talking about, where you have exhaustion or where you have chronic exhaustion, burnout, fatigue, and that these are kind of connected to the way your central nervous system is always heightened or on heightened alert. Yeah, and a lot of women with PCOS have adrenal issues too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that adds to, like, kind of fuels the fire. <laughs> oh, it totally does. The HPA access, like when you start to research the HPA access and what that is and, and how it's connected to uh, gastrointestinal issues, uh, gastro, you know, functional gastrointestinal disorders, it's totally connected with your adrenal system, with your hormones, so intricately connected. And PCOS, is also connected with a lot of these sensitive states, right? The sensitive states, which are basically like when there is something inflamed in the body, mm -hmm. which is also connected to our hormones, we experience more sensitive states. I mean, I had one reader when that, when she read about sensitive states, she was just like, oh my God, this has changed my life. And so sensitive states are when you have any kind of inflammation in the body, not only is that one area or that organ inflamed, right? But it also creates sensitivity throughout the whole body. So you experience more heightened sense of awareness, or being on edge, or, you know, not just knowing, just not knowing internally what's happening, but feeling that sense of overwhelm, and not necessarily understanding why. So it's, it's interesting how our body sends, like these subtle cues and signals, that things are out of balance, mm -hmm. but it takes us getting in tune with our bodies in order to read them. And that's so interesting that inflammation, which is a, one of the root factors of PCOS is actually adding to the sensitivity. I, I yes. didn't realize that. Yes. And so once you make that connection, you know, really deeply make that connection of what that means when you feel like you're on pins and needles or you feel for whatever reason, like you are a more expansive state and it is a delicate state and you feel more fragile or vulnerable or you're tearful, you know, those different types of sensitive states, which are really magnifications of inflammation elsewhere in the body that you don't necessarily know about sensitive people are so highly aware once they start to track those sensitive states and moods with their cycle and with, you know, with these other physical things that are happening, there's usually a connection. And then you can figure that out and you can start to track it. And then you can start to really make those changes like you were talking about, like the downtimes, the naps. Sleep is so restorative to every, every, uh, every functional medicine doctor will tell you the same thing that sleep is just without sleep. Um, you know, your body cannot repair routinely without having certain amounts of sleep every day. So um, it goes into right the right kinds of foods, the right kind of people. Um, it just it can affect every facet of your life. So I have a lot of sensitive people that say this is just um, a horrendous thing to have. But I liked what you talked about in your opening of understanding there's a positive aspect to it too. Once you kind of become aware of what your own, you know, body is signaling, then you can start to really repair and treat your body, um, with the beautiful mechanism it is right. Able to heal, able to restore. Um, a lot of times why we don't heal and repair and restore is because we're not, we're not, um, you know, taking enough time and let's face it, you know, our society really isn't um, geared toward that slow, uh, you know, process of repair and recovery. It's more mm -hmm. like rise to the occasion, adapt, um, you know, push through. And so one of the things I always usually point out about sensitive people is because it does take a little bit more time and energy and patience with ourselves, with our bodies, with our mind and emotions, it takes you know, more time to really tune in. And so a lot of times sensitives just push through those warning signs. That's what they are. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call them is warning sensations. The warning sensations are the subtle sensory cues that we've been ignoring uh, for so long, sometimes for a lifetime before we finally get 
um, tuned in enough to pay attention. And unfortunately, a lot of those times it comes through some kind of diagnosis where we're forced to kind of backtrack and reevaluate. Because a lot of times there is no diagnosis, um, you know, for sensory or highly sensitivity, you know, type issues. It just, you know, it's not able to be diagnosed. So th- this is kind of interesting. My daughter, who, you know, she comes from a long line of women with PCOS. She was diagnosed with auditory processing disorder when she was younger. Um, but I sense that that's just part of her being a highly sensitive person. It's, um, and, and when I had shared that, uh, I've shared it a couple of times in different comments on different threads on um, social media. And a lot of other women with PCOS have chimed in and talked about mm-hmm. having auditory processing um, disorder. Just curious if you've made that connection in your work. Yes, I think that sound sensitivity, auditory processing, uh, sensory processing disorder, a lot of these different diagnoses are connected. They overlap in different ways. And so you'll see people that, that say there's no evidence to support that. But as you start to like anecdotally track you know, different symptoms that relate to, you know, something that seems unrelated, like an auditory processing issue. And then you start to track the other, you know, it depends on how old your daughter is, but you start to track the other ways that sensitivity is affecting the mind and body, you do start to see patterns. So things tend to run in patterns. You know, that's how I explain it. Is everybody the same? Does everybody who suffer from PCOS have auditory processing disorder? No, but it does overlap. You know, it does overlap in interesting ways. And I can give you an example of it. Um, I was doing a, a talk and one of the yoga instructors came up to me and said, you know, I think what you're really doing about anxiety is really interesting. And then she asked me, do you, do you see that empaths have candida, you know, more often, you know, which seems kind of like a random uh, you know, a random connection, but it's not really random because when you start to look at the way empathy and compassion and, you know, these ultra feelers experience their subjective states, right, of their emotions, it totally connects to the HPA BA axis. It totally connects with hormones. It absolutely connects with their cycle and how sensitive they are to their powerful emotions during different times of their cycle. So I, yes, did make the connection between candida and em- empaths you know, long before you're seeing some of these other medical conditions being connected to like a certain quote, personality type, end quote. But the reason you can make that justification for it is how empathy affects the person's perception and their emotions. And it absolutely is connected. To say that it's not would just be to negate all these empath experiences who are really struggling with something as important as you know, candida, which can be really difficult. And so a lot of people with PCOS also struggle with candida, right? But you don't see Mm -hmm. those connections coming about. They're not, you know, they're not in like OBGYN medical care. You're not going to hear, you know, a functional or not a functional medicine, but like, uh, you know, a women's feminine doctor talking about these issues unless they are functional medicine, right? Because the functional medicine piece is like, okay, how are all these conditions connected? And you can usually find the underpinnings of how and why, and it always comes back to hormones, mm-hmm. you know, endocrinology and the hormones that are being activated at certain times during women's cycle. Why are sensitivity, uh, you know, sensitivity or sensory things connected to that? Because hormonally, it's totally connected. It's just not a conversation that's happening um, at that level of critical mass, like we're seeing about self care. But they will be. It's coming in time. You'll see that it will come because women's care and and these kind of issues, it's bound to come up because women are struggling with it and they're looking for answers as to why. And sensitivity is absolutely going to be a part of that clinical and diagnostic picture at some point. It will be accepted. It's not right now, but it will be. So in your book, you know, I only thought that there was just sort of one category of you're sensitive or you're not sensitive, but you've drilled that down even deeper. And I was wondering if you could share the four types of sensitive people that you've kind of identified um, and then tell people how they could find out what they are. Sure. Well, I think there's more. I mean, the four, the four types that I uh, 
really drilled down on were the ones that I saw kind of running these patterns that we're talking about that were consistent, that could be proven through science, backed with science. And so I think that's where you see well, my work is a little bit different. I'm not just pulling from, you know, uh, you know, archetypes. What I did was basically look at medically the way that these gifts are connected to sensory perception and sensory awareness. And so the first one is intuition. And intuition has been studied extensively in different areas, um, different disciplines. But as I studied it, it was the ability to process information at lightning speed to get answers, sometimes without even asking a question, just the answer arriving and then the question coming later, which is pretty phenomenal, um, you know, through subconscious awareness. And so people who are sensitive, who are highly sensitive, have this ability to um, discern, detect, um, bring about information from their subconscious at lightning speed. And they seem to be able to use that unconscious awareness much faster and more frequently than others. And that comes through the form of intuition. So it's getting from A to Z without knowing how or why you get there. And like I said, if there are the person is highly creative, where they use a creative um, receptivity, these are the type of individuals who are receiving the answer pretty much before they're asking the question. Whereas intuition in other processes and other forms of discipline is very well known, um, you know, as a way to get information or knowledge um, through kind of like brainstorming processes. I mean, I break it out in the book through a bunch of different types of fields. Um, but the simple answer is these individuals are able to get the information quickly without knowing how or why. So I explain it in a couple of different ways, but the, the best way is they're able to take information that's stored in their subconscious and kind of perceive it as it's bubbling up to the surface of their awareness, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. well, and that's not, a, that's not always the case. A lot of right. people get intuitive information and they're not really tracking it, but these intuitives who are like the highly sensitive people intuitives are able to discern and detect the information as it's coming up. And sometimes they can develop that into creative processes where they can access it faster and more routinely. Then there's the empaths. I talked about the empathic individual a little bit, which kind of touched on it and how it's connected to hormones. Um, empaths are individuals who are uh, able to detect discern and detect other people's feelings, but they also feel them in their own mind and body. So they li literally cannot mm -hmm. filter out emotional, like content is the best way to put it, but it's not just content, it's actually the moods of situ certain situations. They can detect and discern the motivations of other individuals, like what's behind the feeling or what's driving the other individual. Um, the, the thing that makes the highly sensitive person empath different from traditional empathy, right, as it's been described to us, which is essentially like an emotional resonance with others, is that with the highly sensitive person empath, they don't always distinguish between their own empathy and the feelings of others. That's a really good way to describe it they feel other people's feelings as if their own sometimes or a lot of times. Yeah. So that can be difficult because that ability to distinguish or discern, hey, this is mine versus this is somebody else's can really be where we literally see things like um, that emotional reactivity can just make somebody look crazy. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but that's really the way you feel when you're not aware that you're picking up on other people's emotions. I know. Yeah. Gift too. Yeah. I was just going to say, I know for me, and I'm a, I took your quiz and I'm a sensitive, intuitive and sensitive empath. And for me, I have to be really careful about um, setting boundaries for myself around negative people, people who have sort of a negative glass half empty view of life. Um, if I'm around too many of them, it really rubs off on me and brings me down and puts me in that place too. Um, so that's one area as an empath that I have to be really cautious about um, not taking that negative energy on. Yeah. You're being a hundred percent, um, you know, on point there, because the thing about empaths, deep empaths or, 
I mean, sometimes it's just, it's been described as like extrasensory empaths, you know, these individuals who are really far out on the spectrum of sensitivity and they are so finely tuned and highly aware that it, it becomes um, routine for them to be able to discern what's coming at them. It's self-preservation, but it's also burnout, right? Like if you're constantly being exposed or exposing yourself, let's talk about like a toxic relationship. If you're an empath in a toxic relationship, which, which is your primary relationship with the person that you love and care about, but you're not highly aware or you, you just haven't known what that toxicity is. Maybe it's because it's developed from early life experiences or it's a pattern that you know and are familiar with. But as you mature and you become more aware of it you, and you're constantly being exposed to that level of, of toxic, toxicity, whether it's negativity or whether it's control or whether it's gaslighting, whatever it might be, for an empath, that is a death sentence. And the reason why I say that as heavy handed as I am saying it is because it, it leads to chronic fatigue, chronic burnout, depression, anxiety, like a routine vicious cycle that they just cannot get out of. And the reason why is because they live with somebody who's not, who's not healthy, well, or balanced. And they take that on. And so a lot of my work is with individuals like that to teach them to detect and discern, okay, this is where it is and identify it. It takes a lot of hard work as an empath to extricate yourself from those types of relationships. But a lot of time that's like the first step towards healing. And it's a, it's a, it's a self-preservation mechanism, but I, th I think it's kind of overlooked in our society that a lot of empaths are experiencing empathy, fatigue, and burnout, whether it's in their relationship, whether it's in their job. Um, so I th I'm thinking it's really great that you bring up this point because it, we're, we're talking about it right by having these conversations and letting people know you might be an empath you can start to weave those threads and follow those threads and figure it out and that's like you know the first step on the process is identifying it um the third gift that i talk about in the book is vision and so vision is it's like empathy i mean empathy you know we're kind of talking about the negative or the downside of it but the positive side of empathy just before we move on is like there's different types of empaths so empaths who are really highly aware who have kind of figured out they are an empath or have just been able to kind of rise up and um, transform through their empathy they're able to use it in phenomenal ways to help our societies they become advocates um, of social justice they become um, spiritual leaders and develop um, because they're great compassion and care for others they develop usually um, nonprofits and things to help their communities which are um, you know, that salve to the soul because they're more like spiritual empaths. So there's different types of empaths that I go into the book, but I also want to let people know that empathy is a great ability. It's a great gift when finely tuned. Um, so just going back to vision, visionary awareness is similar to empathy as there's different types, there are different colors of it. It's the subtle nuances. So vision in my way of um, describing it is it's the ability to use the mind's eye which I describe as a, an area right in front of um, your eyes, right? An imaginal space where you solve problems and you solve those problems by using a visionary capacity to, it can be turning objects over in that space. It could be seeing a problem uh, visually and putting the pieces together because it's a more fluid mode of thinking versus using rational thought, which can take a lot more time. And so with the visionary, they're able to, um, they make great engineers, they make great film uh, creators, film editors, you know, you can use that visionary ability practically. Um, sometimes they're clairvoyant, so that you'll have somebody who just gets images in that imaginal space and they're somewhat precognitive. 
um, through extrasensory perception. And then um, those nuances just continue on, you know, through different types of abilities. So they might have a photographic memory, they might be great at directions, cartography, um, they might have great facial recognition or be able to discern microfacial expressions because the visionary ability comes about in different ways. So it's just a fascinating, phenomenal ability. Then the final one is expression. And so expression is um, the ability to use a creative fusion. And this came about through my research of aesthetic sensitivity. It was one of the sub factors in all the research that's been done about sensitivity. There is these sub factors and aesthetic sensitivity was a certain type of subtle subtlety that comes about through sensitivity where these individuals are super highly attuned to their own environment. Once again, like the other types, but these, this pattern expresses itself where it's a um, feeling the heightened aspects of beauty, harmony, the interconnectedness of life. And not only do they feel those qualities in their environment, they have a way of depicting it through their artistic expression into different art forms. So they're literary people, writers, painters, dancers, um, any type of creative process where they are articulating that beauty synthesizing with it and, and, and channeling it through their own being, being. And it's not usually, I mean, just that singular quality of creativity. They're also usually giving meaning to the human experience through their own interpretation of that artistic fusion, if that makes sense. Oh, that's a beautiful gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so you start to see how these qualities fuse together to create um, you know, it is a personality type, but I hate to just say it's a personality type because it really minimizes the great depth of a lot of characterization of these qualities and how they reveal themselves to the individual and then how they impact society. So thank you for explaining those. Um, I don't, I'm wondering if anybody listening is kind of resonating with any of those um, highly sensitive types. Uh, I took your quiz on your mm -hmm. website um tell us what your website uh addresses and we'll put it in the show notes it's easy to find me by typing inspired potentials into any search engine because i'm the top but the actual site name is www.inspiredpotentials.com it's a mouthful <laughs> but um <laughs> It's a it's an informative site. As you mentioned, I'm all about education and coaching and awareness. And so part of that is the first step on the road, which is to identify. Right. It's it's really exactly. like who you are. Who am I? And so this test is just a guidance tool. It's by no means perfect, but it's 20 years of my uh, research looking into, well, how do these patterns express themselves? And so it's a 40 question quiz. It is a bit long, but then you get the results. I send you a personalized email. I analyze the results, each one, and look at each test because sometimes there are different types of patterns that are new, they're emerging research. And, um, you know, I sent an email that says, hey, this is what your types are. Sometimes there's overlapping types. So you might get intuitive empath or intuitive visionary or empathic expressive or empathic visionary. And so the way those coalesce, I call it multisensory intelligence because there's a convergence between the different patterns and how that convergence expresses itself is also unique. So it gets into quite a bit of uh, intricacy uh, but for what we have right now, it's usually pretty consistent. So I always like to ask people, well, how do you feel, you know, your results resonated? And most times they feel like it's one of the biggest ahas they've had. And so I feel very validated in the fact that um, these do exist. And so that's why I wrote the book was to really validate sensitives in their experience to know that they are gifted. And it's not just, um, you know, like this, um, I don't know. A lot of times sensitivity is just bandied about like it's a bad thing or that it's that it's not real or that our experiences aren't truly expressive. You know, we get called exaggerators or we could call dramatic or all these different things. And and 
And that's other people's perceptions, right, of how our sensitivity is revealed in the moment that we might look that way. But honestly, in our own skins, we feel that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the reason why is because it's the intensity. It's the intensity, intensity that we feel of our deep emotions or our rapid fire um, processes that happen so fast that they just can't be explained. I wanted to validate a lot of that experience for sensitives with this book. Mm. You well, know, I, so that I they wish... had something they could rely on and say, this is real. It's not all my imagination. I wish that I had your book as a resource when I was writing my book, Healing PCOS. Um, and I, I've so enjoyed reading it. But I, I in my book, after I kind of had that aha that I was a highly sensitive person, I wrote, I no longer see being mentally alert or highly sensitive as a limitation. It's an asset as long as I know how to support myself. Being highly sensitive is a characteristic of a truly alive and compassionate human being. And, you know, after kind of reading your test results for me, which I, I came out as sensitive, intuitive and sensitive empath, I realized what a, um, a gift that is for coaching women um, in the, yes. uh, the the way that I do with women with PCOS. Um, it, it allows me to really help them on a deep level. So I am just so thankful for that um, gift. But as I said, you know, you have to learn to support yourself. And I know that you had your own health journey, um, mm. realizing that, that you were a sensitive person and had to learn how to support yourself. So I was wondering if we could just shift now to talk about some of those ways that as sensitive um, people, we, we can support ourselves, you know, as I mentioned, naps, getting enough sleep, um, walking in nature, but some, what are some other ways that you like to coach um, women on how to support themselves? Okay, so just I first wanted to say before I go into the tips, tricks and tools, <laughs> one of the things that was occurring to me as you were talking about your own test results and your coaching um, business is one of the things that was like intuitively popping up in my mind as I was listening to you and being receptive to what it means for you specifically. <laughs> And this is kind of rare that I do this, but I really feel like you are going to have great insight uh, with the people that you coach. And so, you know, it occurred to me that that insight might arrive and you, you'll maybe be able to validate this right now in the moment, in the present or in the future as you work with individuals is because you've been through the process with PCOS and you understand it so intimately that I almost feel like you're going to be able to have somewhat like of a medical intuition that you are going to gain insight working with somebody that they might not have themselves because you've been there, done that, or, or you've covered that ground enough that you're going to have that, that intuition will work for you in that way, like a lightning speed insight into an actual symptomology that the person that you're working with might not know or understand themselves. So I just wanted to give you that. Um, yeah. And, and I because that flashed through my mind and I was like, this is important. You know, I don't really want to neglect that and just move on. Mm. Um, so, no, you know, thank you. It is a gift. And, and my, um, you know, journey of PCOS at the time, it was, you know, the, the suffering, um, it, it's difficult, but then you, when you can turn, uh, I think Oprah says this life's wounds into wisdom. Um, it really is a beautiful thing. And I, and that's what I've been able to do. Um, so thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. The flip side and, and the growth of that, that comes from that deep dive and development into what PCO is, what it's been for you, but what it is for other people. So I would just, um, yeah, just reinforce that, that I think that intuition is a great gift for you in that capacity. So how can you receive the, 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 these wonderful gifts that we're talking about more often? Well, it totally comes through self-care. It totally comes through the ability to discern and detect what your own mind, body, and spirit need. We talked about the warning sensations. So let's just drill down onto war what warning sensations are, right? So warning sensations quickly are those 
um, sensations. They're not emotions now. These are the sensations that cue you into the fact that you are you're having an escalation of sensory awareness, which means your perception is peaked for, or it has been peaked for a while through those hypersensitive states, right? Or hypersensitivity, and it could be from inflammation or some other process in your body that's sending out an alert system. When you start to become aware of what your own warning sensations are, you learn to tune into those and then to back off and to take steps, concrete routine steps to ward off a full scale, um, you know, breakdown is typically the way it's described, whether that might be a mood or maybe that would develop into some kind of uh, symptomology or being more symptomatic or highly symptomatic. So walks in nature, absolutely quiet time. Uh, the rest, the sleep is important, but other things are also crucially important. Even um, you talked about auditory. Uh, auditory is a huge overlooked area of medicine where we need to be able to tune out, just tune out from sound completely. And it's so rare to us that we would go into silence, but that's why meditation and meditative movements have been so important because it teaches us to get quiet and how quiet are we really being? And then how much quiet do we really need? So anybody who's experiencing um, sound, vibration, um, like tinnitus type symptoms needs to learn what that sensory escalation is immediately and then to tune out from loud sounds because we don't realize how sound sensitive we really are until we start tracking it. Second thing, food, right? A lot of times we're using foods to cope, right, in any kind of given environment. Um, and so sometimes just working with a traditional uh, food preparation and to take out a lot of the harmful foods can be hugely restorative. You know, even just using the five uh, flavors from something like Ayurvedic uh, nutrition can be helpful or using herbs, right? Calming herbs, healing herbs that use those phytochemicals in the plant to really help the nervous system or help multiple sensory systems. Can I, can um, I just put a chime in there? Yeah. I, I thought it was so interesting that the herb, I mean, you're not a PCOS expert, um, but the herbs and the um, like nutraceuticals that you were, were recommending um, are actually very helpful for PCOS, things like melatonin and magnesium and rhodiola and GABA and electrolytes. Um, just, I just thought that that was so interesting that these kind of um, supplements really help heal on such a deep level. Well, and let's just talk about rhodiola specifically, right? So rhodiola was used in Russia for pilots long, long time ago because it's an Arctic herb, right? It's called commonly like Arctic rose. And so they were using it in Russia and giving them to their pilots to help them not only have sustained energy, but to have increased focus in the cockpit to, to deal with uh, loss of sleep and lack of sleep and to be able to have endurance, right, through their job performance performance. But flash forward years ahead into, into modern research, and they took rhodiola from knowing about, you know, this um, use of it in pilots in Russia, and they did a pilot study down at UCLA for anxiety, right, solely for anxiety and anxious symptoms. And they gave it as like a nutraceutical, right, in their clinical trial and 50% reduction in anxiety symptoms. Wow. And so I saw that awesome. and I read that research because I took a deep dive down into rhodiola because a functional doctor had introduced me to the plant. Um, and so now I grow rhodiola, right? Because I live in Alaska. But and so I follow the plant. I look at it. You know, I follow the seasons of it and I see how remarkable it is. But it's relatively it can be relatively harmless. And so the things that I, I promote in the book, it's not like this is the one way, especially like things like GABA so important magnesium we don't make magnesium it's something that we have to take and right so people who experience a lot of depression can benefit from magnesium but i'm very careful with how i say it and what i say and i cannot say you know in any way this will heal you 
right? But it's up to the people who are experiencing things like PCOS or PMDD to take on some uh, research themselves and figure out what works for them. So I like by no means say this is the best thing, but those are things that I promote in the book that I know will work, that will be helpful regardless. Vitamin D, you know, and vitamin C. They're such valuable things and we they're often overlooked. Um, so, you know, rhodiola to me is like a powerhouse for anxiety. And you can you can get high quality rhodiola, rhodiola anywhere now because it's, you know, once again, it's it's hitting critical mass. Um, but I'm also very careful because, you know, we saw things like St. John's wort, right, back in the 90s, be this miracle herb for depression. And now we're experiencing, um, you know, just it being overrun from wildcrafting and things. So you also have to be in balance with nature. And sensitive people usually are aware of that and, and are careful, uh, you know, with how they live in balance with nature. And so we don't need that much. That's the other thing. As sensitive people, you'll always hear about people who are, um, you know, they just can't take a lot of Tylenol or they can't take sensitive to people are typically the people that don't need a lot to get a big impact, a big therapeutic impact from whatever they're taking. So yeah, herbs can be very helpful. Calming herbs to the nervous system will always be helpful to a sensitive person. And so then my advice is then just to target, right? Target those symptoms with um, synergistic herbs. That's the other thing that a lot of people do not understand, which would be helpful to go see, um, whether it's your acupuncturist who are familiar and well-versed in like you know, uh, five element therapy and how that works with uh, plants. It gets so intricate and detailed, but what ends up happening when you find that right person or that right medical provider who's versed with these things, they'll find synergistic herbs that work in synergy or harmony for what you are specifically experiencing. So that's my best advice. If, if you wanna go into the natural or holistic medicine route, and it takes time, as you know, you know, to find the right person for yourself. And then you, you had an interesting, um, section about different types of movement based on your, um, your type of sensitivity. And I loved when I was reading that the sensitive empaths may enjoy Pilates because I really do love Pilates. Um, I've, I've, a big fan of um, bar, which incorporates so much of the Pilates. I, whenever I go to a workout like that, I always feel more grounded and um, stable, I guess, uh, afterwards. It just grounds me. I think once again, it's so overlooked, all the core work that you're doing in bar or Pilates or other types of movement that are building that core strength empaths this is another like you know uh, connection that i'm making that you just don't see mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times where i'm connecting a movement modality to a specific like personality type if you're going to look at it that way like just generally but because of the intricate ways that empaths are such strong feelers in the world having a strong core is essential and so they're going to benefit so much from movement therapies that are even in yoga that are, are um, engaging the core, um, you know, because it's just it's a way of ballast. It's a way of strengthening and core conditioning with the, the systems. So I also talk about I don't know if you picked up on this, but I also talked about the ecstatic states that empaths feel so routinely when they are in balance because they feel such depth um, through their emotions that when they're doing core movement or any kind of movement that's tapping into that feeling or that mode of uh, experiencing the emotional ecstasy, that's just going to make empaths feel so blissful. So they do experience bliss. And so I talk about bliss yoga right, which you can also get from more like Pilates type movement or bar type movement where you're really experiencing that bliss. It's groundedness, yes, but it's also expansiveness, like how expansive can you get through your movement? And so once you have a practice as an empath or even as an intuitive empath, you're going to feel those 
those like hyper connectivity states with those trans more transcendent is what I would call it or transformative emotional states. You know, Courtney, we only had an opportunity to just scratch a surf the surface of, you know, all of the information in your book. Um, I really encourage if you're listening to today's podcast and this kind of struck a chord, you had an aha moment, you think that you might be a highly sensitive person to uh, pick up a copy of Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive and check out uh, Courtney's work on her website. And we, we will list that um, in the show notes. But I, I think I would just love, Courtney, if you just leave us with... Um, just if somebody sort of had an aha, aha moment today, you know, what would you, what would you say about um, moving forward with this new sense of awareness that you may be a highly sensitive person? It is a gift, you know, don't let the world get you down. A lot of times we are flooded you know, in our society with imagery or especially right now, right? When things really feel like they're just burning down around us, just know that sensitivity really is a gift. And that as you start to dive into it and see how it works for you, uh, what I, or I think the magic comes is in recognizing it. Because once you identify with it, things just open up in remarkable ways from healing, right? To learning how to heal healing the way it works for you to relationships, how to deepen your relationships through your sensitivity and how that works for you. And it is kind of magical. And then the third thing would be, um, you know, how can you help others? I'm really big about advocacy and service, not just only to self, but to others. And so once you've done your own healing process, it's kind of neat to see, well, how can I serve others? Because sensitivity will usually connect you um, to your communities in those ways, like how can you help? So those are the three things that I typically say start with. Well, excellent advice. And thank you so much for, for all of the research and the work that you've done on this really under um, serviced topic. So thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, it's just so nice to be together in community with people who are, you know, like-minded, kindred spirits almost, having these conversations. Yes, I love it. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCUS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCUS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at pcosdiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.